Our reading this morning is from Ephesians 3, 7 through 21. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we may ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are holy, and we are made righteous only through your gospel. May we continue to make much of your name this morning, and I pray that through your spirit you may anoint the preaching of your word, that our eyes and ears would be opened wider and that we may encounter you. Convict us and sanctify us for your glory. Whatever it takes, may the unity of this church be strengthened, and may we, above all, draw closer to you. In your son's precious name, amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Yes, I think. I turned this on. Yes? No? There we go. All right. Yeah, my name is Daniel. I am one of the pastors here at Aletheia Church. And uh, let's just go ahead and jump right into the message this morning. Last week, I introduced to you two key ideas. I said that identity formation equals our sense of self 
plus our sense of worth. Sense of self. Any word that you use to describe you. Whether it be your gender, whether it be your birth order, your favorite personality test designation, a title such as doctor, a vocation such as carpenter, any word that you use to describe you helps to give you your sense of self. On the other side of that plus sign is our sense of worth. These are the things that give us a feeling of validation that we receive internally from ourselves or externally from others based on our sense of self. Take the good old days of high school, and for those of you who were popular in high school, most likely you felt a, a sense of validation. It made you feel good about yourself to be popular in high school because society has deemed that being popular in high school is a good thing. So you felt internally validated because externally your peer group had esteemed you to be a part of this class. Now take those who weren't popular in high school like myself who had to wear headgear to school in fifth and sixth grade for two years and then carry that stigma all throughout those years. Let's just say high school wasn't the greatest of things. I wasn't near as tall or big in high school as I am now. And so the internal validation and being laid popular never made it onto my sense of self list. So there, I did not receive the same sense of validation. And some of you would, have, would agree to that, that you did not feel that same sense of worth because you were not deemed with this label of being popular. So our identities are formed by our sense of self plus our sense of worth. The second idea that I added on to this is that from this identity, we see movement created in our lives. Sticking with the school theme, let's talk about being a student, all right? Student is a label that many of you wear or have worn in your life, and attached to that is something called your grades, right? And let's be honest, our grades are a way that society, the way the university here, validates you as a student. So if you are a student with good grades, then most likely you feel pretty good about yourself, and it affects the way you move going to class. You probably like going to class. You enjoy going to school. There's something about having other people come to you for the answers. Internally, there, there's some joy about being a student, about getting good grades. But on the other hand, for some of you who don't think you're a good student, there's probably a little bit more fear and trepidation going to take the test that is coming up this week and in the coming weeks because you, you, you tie your sense of validation to these grades that are given to you by your professors. But if we remember what I said last week, we don't have to live this way, living in light, receiving our ultimate validation from our grades or from anything else in our lives. Though we will always have words to describe ourselves like male and female and student and grad student, married and single, etc. From none of these should we derive our greatest sense of self-worth because None of these things are our ultimate validators. As followers of Jesus, we have already been ultimately validated. 
No longer do we have to ask the question, am I good enough? This week I, I was listening to a message and listening to a pastor, and he said, I've been doing this for decades now, and, and I've come to the conclusion there is one question that dominates every human being's life from the day they are born to the day they die, and it's this, am I good enough? And they ask this to every person that they come in contact with, and they ask this in every situation that they walk into, am I good enough? But because we as followers of Jesus have been designated with this label of being in Christ, we no longer have to ask that question ever again. Because in Christ, we have been told that Christ is good enough. So therefore, we don't have to be good enough. But because Christ is good enough and because we are in Him, we have been redeemed, forgiven, chosen, predestined, sealed with the Spirit, adopted, saved by grace, guaranteed an inheritance. We are the household of God. We are stewards of grace. And on and on and on I could go. And because all of this is true about us, it gives us an incredible sense of worth. I no longer, you no longer have to look for your ultimate validation coming from your parents, from your grades, from your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband or your wife, from your kids, from your job, from your athletic performance. Because you have been ultimately approved in Christ. You no longer have to work for approval, but from approval. Never again do you have to ask yourself the question, am I good enough, when it comes to your ultimate source of validation. And this is good news. Yes? Yes? Better than beating Mississippi State last night? Huh? One person. All right. Thank you. You're going to heaven. I'm worried about the rest, okay? So, yeah, I mean, this is, like, this is like spectacular news. I mean, this is like good, incredible, wonderful news that, that, that these haunting questions that we ask about being good enough, we never have to ask again because we have the ability to live in light of this ultimate designation given to us that we are in Christ. Doesn't mean it's easy, but we can live in light of this primary identity. Our primary identity is in Christ. Just like on the label last week, remember? We used all those words to describe ourselves. But the overarching identity for all followers of Jesus is two words, in Christ. Now with that, on what I built upon last week, I want to add two layers this week to what we've already talked about. Burdens and burning passions. Right now, many of you have walked into this building this morning carrying some heavy burdens. Some are heavier than others. Right now, some of you are carrying the burden of a certain class that you're taking. Some of you are carrying the burden of your grades not being what you or others might expect them to be. Some of you are carrying the burden of graduating without a job offer. Some of you are carrying the burden of a student loan that you were hoping this job would then pay for all this money and time you've invested. 
Some of you are carrying the burden of a relationship that's not going well. Some of you are carrying the burden of not having or being in a relationship. Some of you are carrying the burden of figuring out life's next step. Some of you are carrying the burden of your parents' marriage disintegrating before your eyes and being on the precipice of divorce. Some of you carry the burden of a sibling or a friend who is making terrible life choices right now. Some of you could be carrying the burden of wondering how you're going to pay the bills this month. Some of you are carrying the burden of orphans in Africa. Some of you are carrying the burden of, of women who are being trafficked for sex. Well, when it comes to the burden, that there is no limit to the burdens that we can carry. And some of them are very near and dear to us. Some of them, in, on the cosmic scale, are not very big. But yet some reach all the way around the world to people whom we've never even met. Along with the burdens that each and every one of us are carrying this morning into this room, we also have burning passions that ignite our soul and light them on fire. One of mine is bacon cheeseburgers. There are almost two things you can guarantee will be in every sermon. One you can guarantee, and that'll be Jesus. Number two, I will almost always find a way to work bacon cheeseburgers somewhere into my sermon because I truly love bacon cheeseburgers. The only reason I work out and run five days a week is so that I can consume bacon cheeseburgers and pizza when I don't want a bacon cheeseburger, all right? Like, that's it. And you think it's funny, but it is. It, it is the only reason I, I give any effort and energy to working out because I have a burning passion for bacon cheeseburgers. Guess what I'm going to do for lunch today now? Bacon cheeseburger, right? What are you going to do for lunch today? Bacon cheeseburger, right? Yes, okay. So we, we have these individual burning passions in our lives. Some of you, who in here has the burning passion to graduate? What about the burning passion to make a lot of money? How about the burning passion to retire early? Travel the world, right? Get married, getting as far away from your hometown as possible, making sure orphans have parents, rescuing women from sex trafficking. I mean, all, all of these things can be burning passions in our lives. And some, you know, they burn white hot and they're intense and they're for the moment. But some of these are just a long, slow burn that carry on throughout our entire lives. Now, like last week where I introduced this idea of identity formation on the horizontal axis by having you fill out that label and write down in two minutes as many words as you could to describe yourself, and then we moved it onto this vertical axis where we saw that all these things are covered over and hopefully are, are dominated by our identity in Christ, I wanted to introduce to you the same idea this morning that we have burdens that we carry on this horizontal axis of our life and these burning passions as well. But we need to then take these and move these onto a vertical axis of our life and get them attached to Jesus in some way, shape, or form if we are going to, to live right before God and have our burdens and our burning passions mean something in this life in our identity in Christ. And the way I want to do that is I, I want to remind us about this guy, Paul, that, that we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 3, 7 through 21 today. But I want to remind us by using the passage that I opened up with last week. If you remember in Philippians 3, verses 5 through 6, Paul described himself as 
as a guy who before Jesus, his identity had been formed by his sense of self and his sense of worth that he had gotten from the community that he had been raised in. That he had been circumcised on the eighth day, which means he was set apart and his father was Abraham. That he was of the people of Israel. He came from a great country and a great nation. That he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He had a great family lineage. That he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And when it came to all the other people, he was the cream of the crop. He was the top of his class. And when it came to the religious stuff, when it came to the law and being obedient before God, he was a Pharisee, meaning he obeyed the rules and then he added on a bunch of rules as well to make sure that he never broke God's law. When it came to zeal and passion, Paul said, there was nobody like me. I went as far as to persecute the church. And when it came to righteousness under the law, just forget about it because I was totally blameless before God. And how does that guy who had had his entire life rooted in that identity, everything in his life was tied to that identity, in the blink of an eye, totally change and become the guy who says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The changed man that we read about here in Philippians chapter 3 truly embraced his identity in Christ. He let those two words become the defining feature of his life. And it affected everything that he thought about himself. It affected his value and it affected all of the movement in his life. That's why he can't help but have it come out through his letters, his 13 letters. He uses this phrase, in Christ, in some variation, 150 times. This is the number one thing he stresses to the church over and over and over, is that you are in Christ. 14 times already in the book of Ephesians, in the first two chapters, Paul has told us that we are in Christ. And it is out of this identity that we are going to see today what are Paul's burdens and his burning passions and how it overflows out of his life and should make its way into our life as the church as well. If we look at what Sam read for us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, look what Paul says. He says, Of this gospel, of this good news about Jesus, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. See, Paul's burden was for people who did not know 
Christ. Paul, once he became a follower of Jesus and had his life radically changed, his burden in life was for God's glory and for that glory to be made known to people who did not know Christ. So therefore, his burning passion was to preach this message to the Gentiles. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, right now, you might be saying to yourself, well, that is fine and dandy for the Apostle Paul. And I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul had this as one of his burdens and passions in life. But I now live in the 21st century. I now live in the state of Florida. I now go to this university, and, and my schedule is really busy. And when it's not really busy, I have these amazing, wonderful beaches within an hour for me, and I really like going to them. And if I don't want to go to those, well, man, I like really going to Disneyland because Disney, Disney World. Disney World is really awesome. You'd think I just spent two days there this weekend. I, I know what it's called. So Disney World, like I have all these wonderful things around me. There, there, there's no way in the world that, that God would have this same expectation on me. I mean, he wouldn't give me all these great and wonderful blessings and things to do all around me and expect me to also carry this burden and passion for people who don't know Christ and this passion to, to tell them about this same Jesus. But I want to say to you, and you need to understand, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, that, that this burden and burning passion that Paul felt for the Gentiles, for those who do not know Christ, and to get this message to them, the unsearchable riches of Jesus, is not something that should be unique to Paul. But it should be unique to each and every person who is in Christ. Because look what Paul says in verse 10. He did all this so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And when he's speaking of the church, he's not saying coming into a building and having this message proclaimed. But he's talking about the people. That you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are in Christ, you are the church. So Paul got this message out so that this message could be passed down throughout the centuries to you and I so it could still be communicated over and over to people the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I'm going to say something that might set a few of you on edge this morning to say that. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be in Christ, then you should see in yourself evidence of a burden to reach people who don't know Christ and a burning passion to get that gospel message to them. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Paul Closing out his letter to the church in Corinth says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself? That Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. 
Now, does it mean that you have to do this all the time? Does it mean that you have to be like the Apostle Paul and live poor and broke and destitute and give up everything and be beaten with whips and rods to, to prove your worthiness, to prove that you are in Christ? And the answer is no. Because you do live in a different age, in a different day, and a different time. But one of the tests of the faith that, that, that you have to see within the Scripture is that there is a burden to get Jesus to people who, to, who don't know Him. To preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because how can you say that you know Christ and are in Christ if, if nothing is flowing out of you that wants to tell people whom the scriptures say will be forever and eternally separated from this God who came to redeem and reconcile humanity to himself? How is it that we can be in Christ and not have a burden and a burning passion to tell people about this Jesus who has done such great and wonderful things for us? And in case you're not convinced by this passage, that, that, that this task has been given to us as followers of Jesus, look what Paul states very clearly in 2 Corinthians 5, 14-21. He says, For the love of Christ controls us. Okay, So for those who are in Christ, what you should see is in your life, evidence, passing the test, Examining yourself is the love of Christ controls us. Can you say in this moment right now that you see evidence that the love of Christ controls us? Why does it control us? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, if you are in Christ, what, what you are saying and in, in declaring to the world and to yourself is that the love of Christ controls you. And you see evidence in your life that you are no longer living for yourself primarily, but for Him, Jesus, who for your sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See it? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So our lives have been changed, just like we saw in Paul in Philippians chapter 3. It's been changed. We no, we no longer get our identity from the world and what it thinks of us and what it says of us. Our movement has now changed because the new has come. And all this is from God. I didn't do it. I didn't cause it for myself. God has graciously bestowed this gift upon me. That's why Paul said, I'm just a steward of God's grace. A steward is one who manages the affairs and possessions of someone else. I'm just managing what God has done in my heart and life for the glory of his name. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, not just limited to Paul, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, through you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the, the, the reason this should be a burden of our heart and a burning passion of our lives is because at the end of the day, God made Jesus to be sin for us. He placed Jesus on that cross to take all of our penalty for all of our sin. To what end? So that we could become the righteousness of God. That is that is what we should be amazed by. This is what we should be overwhelmed by. This is, this is not, in the same way that I don't have a problem desiring the bacon cheeseburger. Like, it's just there, and I want it. I should have no problem wanting to get this message out to people because what Christ has done for me is way greater than anything a bacon cheeseburger has ever done for me. But I have no problem telling you about the great and wonderful bacon cheeseburgers that I've had. I can describe them in immaculate detail down to the flavor of the beef and the bacon and the cheese and the jalapenos and the mayonnaise or the sauce or the lettuce and the tomato. I can describe it and I can see it in my mind. I can describe it in glorious detail and I can make you want to go get one. How much more so should we know and understand and be able to share with other people how captivated our hearts and our minds and our souls are by this Christ who has done way more for each and every one of us than a bacon cheeseburger or any any other burning passion that we have in this life. And that's why it's not something you have to do, again, in order to earn this favor. You, you've already been approved. You're not working for approval, but from approval. And in light of this incredible gift of God's grace toward you and I, who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, as we've seen in Ephesians 2, how can this not just be the overflowing burden and burning passion of our lives. Now, I, I know what, what typically happens here is you're like, no, I, I'm, I'm on this course in life and, and, and I've got this thing to do and you've got your entire life laid out for you, right? You're going to graduate, like you know the day you're going to graduate, you know the job you want, you know the job you hope to get, you know you're going to get married, you already know you're going to have 2.3 kids, you know your dog's name, you know your cat's name, you know where you want to live, you want to, you want to know all this stuff. And, and, and you're sitting here, and a lot of times you discount what the preacher or the pastor says because you're like, nope, I've got all this, this absorbs all of my life, and i got room for nothing else. And the, the good news about this is neither I nor the Scripture is saying you have to give up any of those things. Now, if Jesus asks you to give up those things, like with all things, we want to hold all things with an open hand in our lives when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is boss. Jesus is king. Jesus should get what Jesus wants. Yes? Are you with me? 
are you only with me because I'm doing this as well? And, you know, there's some psychosomatic symptoms going on. Oh, he's nodding. I'm going to nod too because I don't want anybody. Yeah, okay. So, so, so we get that. So, so, so Jesus, what he wants, he gets. But what I'm saying is, and, and this is where I, this is where I, I want to free you up because I don't want you to feel guilty like, oh, gosh, I have to become a preacher. I have to become a passion, pastor. I have to become a missionary. No, 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 no. You only do those things if God makes you. All right? I, I want to free you up that, 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 that you have to become a pastor or a missionary and, and, and do any of those things to have this burden-burning passion. What we want you to do at Aletheia Church is we, we want you to become the everyday church. We want you that wherever you go, where, wherever you are in life, wherever you are in your classroom, as you're striving to get good grades, as you're trying, trying to do everything you can to secure a good job, we just want you, when you're interacting with other students, to recognize and realize that many of them don't know Christ. And we want you, and Paul wants you, and Jesus wants you to feel a burden for that person who does not know him. And to have a burning passion to somehow share that message of Jesus with them. We don't need necessarily more pastors and preachers and missionaries. We need people like you to realize there is no separation between the, sa the, the sacred and the secular. Okay? You have an incredibly sacred task. This whole definition of, of separating work in the church and work on the mission field and, and your own work. No, 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 no. God gave work before sin ever entered the world. Don't, if you think that we only have to work and go into this nine-to-five job thing that people do because sin entered the world, no, no, no. Before sin ever entered in the world, he gave Adam and Eve work to do. Work is good. Work is dignifying. Work is holy and honoring before God. What all you need to do is to ask God to help you turn on the switch that wherever you go throughout your day, in the grocery store line, at the football game, at work, at your places of, of recreation, how you can feel incredibly free to do those things and never have to go ask the question, am I doing enough? Is it everywhere you go, every place that you interact with, can you see people for who they are? And do you have a burning passion to, to get the gospel into their lives because it has made such a radical difference in your heart and in your life. You can't help but talk about, talk about it. And that's the evidence. If, if you want to know how much Jesus is affecting your life, one simple question, how much do you talk about it? How much do you talk about it? I have no problem telling you about how great and wonderful I think my wife is because of how deep of an impact she constantly has on my life. You have no problem talking about the things that have had a deep impact on your life. But, but if you are sitting here and you find yourself never talking about Jesus, you literally you have to ask yourself, how much impact has he actually had on my life? Is he truly inside of me, changing me from the inside out? And, and this is why, it, the, the, though we can begin with knowledge, it, we cannot end with knowledge. I, I want to show you something you've probably never seen in the book of 
Ephesians. If you remember back in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul already prayed one prayer. Look at this prayer that he prays for the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. He says, in starting, in, um, starting in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Okay, that's the key word here. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So, to have your heart enlightened, to have your mind enlightened by who this Jesus is and what He's done. So He says, God, please give them a greater spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Okay? This is why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans chapter 12. This is why knowledge is important. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul prays very specifically their minds and the eyes of their heart would be enlightened to the knowledge of all these things he just declared. But he's going to pray a different prayer at the end of chapter 3. He prays a prayer for enlightenment in chapter 1. And in chapter 3, he prays a prayer of enablement. Okay? So he goes from enlightenment to being enabled. Because it's one thing to know but it's totally different to be enabled to, with that knowledge to go and do. And look at what he says in verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I want to tell you what just blows my mind about this passage. And, and no matter how much I try to wrap my mind around it, I can just never, I never feel like I, I can make any progress. Because every step I take, I feel like it just gets bigger and broader. And there's just another um, layer of the onion to peel back. How, how, how strange is it that Paul asks that we would have strength, okay? That we would have strength with power through the Spirit. To comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. Right? Like, I don't think of this 
as like a hard thing to do in a sense. Like, I don't feel like I need strength to grasp this idea. I, I feel like this is a concept in my mind that I just somehow need to get my mind around. The more I can get my mind around this idea, the more clearly I can think about this and how far it goes in his doctrine. But I find it rather strange that Paul, say, that Paul prays that we would be given a supernatural strength to be enabled to stand up under how heavy and weighty the love of Christ is. That surpasses knowledge. And when I think about this, I, I, I have to ask myself, I'm like, how little must my understanding of the love of Christ be that I feel like I can get it with my mind and not have to ask God to give me a supernatural strength? Paul said that Paul had to ask for a supernatural strength to, to bear up this weight. That when the love of Christ falls upon you, this love that surpasses knowledge falls on you. Paul says it is so heavy in its weight of glory that I must pray for you that God would give you a strength, a supernatural strength to be able to endure how heavy is this weight of glory and it just makes me feel incredibly small that I don't have this deeper love and appreciation and astonishment and wonder over this that, 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 that I don't pray this way but yet Paul who knew Jesus as much as anybody on this earth said if you are going to comprehend this it is so heavy and so weighty that all you can do, all I can do for you, the best thing I can do for you is pray that God would enable you, that God would give you a strength to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Because when this happens, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, who is filled with all the fullness of God? Jesus, right? Like in his flesh, his flesh was filled with all the fullness of God because he was fully God and fully man. So what Paul is praying here is that you and I would be, become like Jesus. That we would be enabled to become like Jesus. And see, this, this is a, a spiritual endeavor that only God can give to us. Because see, if you just take, if you're, if you're, if you're here today and, and you take all these things you have to do in your life, go to school, get good grades, graduate, get a job, get married, get have kids, and just add on to it burdened and burning passion, all you're going to do is burn out and die. That's all you're going to do. I mean, it, it's just too hard. It is just too much. Like, I, I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you, and, and I, don't, I don't have enough experience with you, with you guys yet as college students, having just being new here and kind of being, be, be, being in this world. But what, what, what's funny is, from the people who have now graduated from college, um, living in a college town, the, the one thing they most commonly say about college students is, 
we can't wait until they graduate. And what they usually follow that up with is, I'd say, well, well, why? Well, it's because they always talk about how busy they are now. And let me just say, you have no idea. Like, like, you are not busy. Your calendar may be full of a lot of things, but you are not busy. You get married. I mean, you, you, think, you, you think about all the things you have to do in this life, okay? Guys, I'll just talk to you for a second. Your commandment is, love your wife as Christ loved the church. You, now, now, just think, uh, I mean, I'll use this word. That, that just sounds asinine, right? Like, it just sounds loony, loony that it would even be pinned, Daniel, love your wife as Jesus loves the church. Okay, so let's add that weight onto career and, jo- you know, all the other things, okay? Now, now I have this responsibility. Fathers, instruct your children in the Lord. Now I got, so now there's career and job and money and all the stress that comes. Now I have this command from, from God to love my wife as Christ of the church. And I have these four little rugrats running around that, that, that I'm responsible for instructing them in the ways of the Lord and not exasperating them along the way, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, right? So if, if you think life is weighty and heavy now, it's not. I mean, you know, and I'm not trying to disparage anything, but I just promise you, it, it, going to college is like lifting the 10-pound dumbbell at the gym. And, and again, you, you, you know, it may feel to you, it may feel to you like you're bench pressing 225. Okay? But once you get married and have kids, and Jesus throws 225 on the bar, and you've only been lifting 10 pounds, it is a totally different experience. And if you're going to do it the way Jesus wants you to do it, you are going to beg and scream for mercy and enablement. You know, this whole thing that God will not, um, not, not, not tempt you beyond what you can bear or, or, or not test you beyond what you can bear. That is the dumbest thing I, I, I have heard out of somebody's mouth. Okay, let's put it this way. God purposely puts you in positions to make you cry uncle. All right? Because he wants you to realize that this is greater than you. This is harder than anything you can do. You have to cry out for supernatural strength. And I'll just tell you, if you are not regularly crying out for God, for supernatural strength, to do the things that he is calling you to do, you are not walking in the will of God. You are not following Jesus. Because Jesus will always take you into places where he is the only one who can rescue you and enable you and strengthen you. Because you know what this does? When you do that and you call out to him and you cry out to him and he rescues you, what does it do? It builds trust. What is trust? Trust is faith. His goal is to continue to build faith in you, to build trust in this relationship so that you never have to question or wonder. 
And this is why he says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Listen, I, I will tell you, if th- that is a way greater promise than Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Like, if you are going to give somebody a graduation card, just scratch out Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Give them Matthew 6, 33. Give them, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. You don't have to worry about anything. I mean, I, I, I always say, if that promise is not true, close the Bible, burn it, and never look at it again. That is directly from the mouth of Jesus. That if you seek first his kingdom, he bears the weight and responsibility of providing for you and taking care of you. He bears that weight and responsibility, not you. So when you're freaked out about it and you feel like you've got to provide for yourself and do all those things, what you've done is you, you've tried to take Jesus' job from him. You're like, nope, Jesus, I know you said that's your gig, but I want it. I trust me being able to navigate and guide and direct my life more so than I trust you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. So what does that look like? Like, we, I, I, I want to tell you, one of, the, one of the key deciding factors of why we came to the University of Florida, and some of you don't know, know us, but we were church planners in, in Seattle, and we spent the entire summer driving across the country interviewing different churches and locations and colleges because we were just going to move somewhere new and do something new. The, one of the key things that, that led to us coming here was we were having lunch with somebody, and he said, look, he said, do you want to have an impact on the world? And I said, yeah. He goes, then you need to come to Florida. I said, why? He goes, because the future leaders of the world are coming out of this university, and they're going all around the world. So if you want to have the potential to have an, an incredible impact on people's lives in the world, come here. So you guys are going all around the world. You're going to be here for a short time, and you are going to go all around the world, and, and you are going to live a life for the next 50, 60, maybe even 70 years. But our hopes and our dreams for you is, it is not just that you're great in your field. We want you to be great in your field. You should strive to be great in your field. You should strive, whatever career you choose, you should have a burden and a burning passion for it, that, that, out, that goes beyond your peers. But you also have the responsibility of a marriage. Many of you will. You're going to have the responsibility of kids. Many of you will. But greater than all that, included in all that, is a burden and a burning passion to proclaim the name of Jesus to people around you. God says in Acts 17, 26, Paul, or the, they, is it Paul? Yeah, I think it's Paul. Yes, Paul says in Acts 17, 26, God has put all men in all places at all times. The passion that you have for your job and your career and all these things, God has put that inside of you. But it's not just to stop with you so that you can have a great life and a great house and a great income and retire early and travel the world. Do all those things. But those things should be underneath the umbrella of having a burden and a burning passion to tell people about Jesus. Do exactly what you want to do. Just realize there's a, there's a higher calling when it comes to being in Christ 
of, of sharing the message of Jesus with people. And for many of you, it will cost you something in this life. And that is why we, that is why we pray. That is why we ask God for strength, because it is not easy to do. But I will tell you, if getting the name of Christ becomes the burden and the burning passion of your life out of your identity in Christ, in your work, in your recreation, in your marriage, and in the raising of your children, you will experience a supernatural strength from God to carry out those tasks. The burden is always going to be there. The question is, do you want to do it on your own and carry this weight on your own, or do you want to have a supernatural strength and a supernatural promise from Jesus to lean back on, to rest against? Remember last week, Matthew 11, 28, 29, all you who are weary have laid, let me give you rest. The rest doesn't mean we sit back and do anything and we get to kick our feet up on the beach with a corona in our hands or a daiquiri in the other hand, right? That's, that's not the rest Jesus is talking about. The rest is that in the things that you are, are called to do, you lean back and rest against this promise, and you're like, all right, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. Jesus, I'm going to watch you show up in this situation, in this scenario, in this setting. And I promise it will build for you an incredible life of faith. It, it will be more spectacular than, than anything you have ever seen or imagined. Because you will have God stories that you experience that will drastically change how you view the world. Because you will see God do things above and beyond just because he's, he's God. Just because he seeks to bless you. Because that's who he is. God is a God who wants to bless his children and to build this trust and relationship with his children so they have a deeper understanding of who he is and increase and increase their love for him. <clears throat> Paul says, because we are in Christ Jesus, in verse 12 of chapter 3, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask that you not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. The author of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're now going to move into our response time. And if you were here last week you, and, and you've heard me preach before, you, you know how this kind of, of rolls. Um, if you haven't been here before, this may be a little unique to you. Uh, you just have to get over the fear factor of this whole thing. Because I, I believe one of the greatest detriments in the church is that we, we preach messages and we sing songs, but we don't give people a time to respond before they leave. Because 
as soon as this thing is over with, you got bacon cheeseburgers on the brain, right? So we want to give you an opportunity to respond. And there's, and there's several ways in which you can respond today. And so I'm going to go ahead, Kevin, if you'll kill those lights, and band, if you'll go ahead and, and come on back up and start to pray, pray instrumentally. Um, there will be some, some men and women up front who will pray with you, and there will be some in the back as well. So you can go either direction um, to get prayed for. So the first opportunity you have to respond this morning is asking yourself the question, are you in Christ? If you sit here today and you, and you go, I don't know that I'm in Christ, but I want to be in Christ, go and talk to someone about that. And, and, and that person will fo follow, follow up with you, all right? We're not going to point you out or make you stand up or do anything. Just let somebody know that you have a desire to be in Christ, and you want to know what that looks like. Beyond that, if you know you are in Christ, the question that, that I would have for you is, how is your heart, how is your focus and your gaze when it comes to people who don't know him? Who is it that you know in your class or at your work or in your dorm or in your apartment complex or in your, in your CrossFit box, in your gym? Who, who is it? that you want to see God work in their life, that, that you want God to enable you to give you a spiritual strength to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and that you want God to open that door so that you can share this incredible love uh, of Christ with them. The third thing you can pray for and get prayer about this morning is, is just the burdens that you have. Like we know that you come in here and you come in here with with heavy burdens. Uh, allow us to pray for you. Allow us to pray for spiritual strength for you. Believing that, that we have this confidence, this boldness, and this access to God. I mean, like, just think about it. I mean, like, we're going to pray. And the God of the universe that spoke all this into existence, who knit you together in your mother's womb, and is currently holding this entire, I, I always say the most, the most amazing thing about God to me is this, outside of Jesus. That from one word spoken, however many years ago, everything still holds together in place from one word spoken from his mouth. We have access to that power. We have confidence to go before this God. And the Bible says we can even have boldness to go to this God because we are in Christ. So there is no burden too great. There is no mountain too high. There is no valley too low from which Christ cannot redeem and rede rescue and restore this situation. So if I've asked you to, to be a part of the prayer team this morning at the back or the front, if you'd go to that place, it'd be great. And then we're just going to give you guys a few minutes uh, to respond. Um, and then you can begin responding, and you can continue responding through communion. When they begin to sing uh, the words, this first song in a couple of minutes, that'll be your opportunity to, to take communion. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are in Christ, this is your chance to remember and to partake in his body that was broken for you and his blood that was shed, and then to remember that as well.
So please come in a time of response so that we can pray over you that God would give you a supernatural strength to face the day and to face the week.